All right, everybody, we've got our first ever Break the Glass in Case of Emergency HTP episode with USC letting go of Clay Helton. Uh, We've been talking about him on and off first few episodes of the season and what seemed like it should have happened three, two or three years ago finally did happen. So USC let go of Clay Monday afternoon. I'm recording this on Tuesday evening. Uh, interim head coach Dante Williams is now running things for the Trojans for the foreseeable future, giving the weird timing of this, I guess. So we're just going to do a quick little bonus episode because <clears throat> USC and Clay Helton, there's plenty to talk about with uh, the future of this. So as I was kind of reading up today, well, first of all, I saw the news on my phone as soon as I got done recording this week's episode yesterday on Monday evening. So that was perfect timing. But like I said on Twitter, I feel like it's a rite of passage <clears throat> to um, <laughs> to record a podcast. And then as soon as you're done, the huge piece of news for that week or even year drops. So I guess I'm... Uh, inaugurated in in that form to the sports podcasting world by now. But um, yeah, so I was just going over, reading some articles, listening to some other podcasts today, just to try to get my head around the whole USC situation. Um, They had such a weird coaching run in the early 2010s. I had to go back and kind of refresh myself on the exact timing of everything. So first, I'm just going to go over kind of the timeline of the past decade or so of USC football, talk about their coaches before Helton, um, and then kind of hit on his tenure with the Trojans, kind of what led to the downfall of his time there in LA and some of the possible replacements. So this will be a little bit quicker than a normal episode, a little bonus pod, um, Yeah, USC fires Clay Helton after week two of the 2021 season. That is, it feels like almost an all-time record for a program of this stature. So, uh, quickly to recap on the past decade of SC coaching, quick little timeline. Uh, 2009 is the end of the Pete Carroll era. Of course, most of us remember the dominance that they displayed in the mid-2000s, when I think at least everyone around my class was getting to the age where they were first starting to watch and actually comprehend college football. So everyone remembers the awesome Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart teams. USC was really good until 2008. Um, then in 2009, they took a big step back, by their their standards at least, and Pete Carroll left at the end of the 09 season for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, soon after he left, Lane Kiffin was hired in 2010. Um, soon after Lane Kiffin was hired, the NCAA smashed USC with uh, probation because Reggie Bush was caught accepting gifts or a house or whatever it was from USC boosters. So they revoked his Heisman, you know, quote unquote, vacated all of the games that USC won. And the bigger deal for Kiffin and the Trojans going forward in 2010 was that USC had a two season bowl ban and 30 scholarships were revoked over three seasons. So Kiffin not only had to deal with just the complexities of following the greatest coach 
you know, in the modern era of USC football and all of the expectations that were probably out the roof in LA, but also dealing with all of that, people expecting him to get USC to the national contender level year in, year out, while losing 10 scholarships a year and not even being able to go to a conference championship, which they did qualify one of the two years that they were banned or a bowl game. So Kiffin was dealt a tough hand. This was his first college head, co- head coaching gig. So just a bad situation all around. He was fired after week five of 2013. And Ed Orgeron was the interim coach for the Trojans the rest of the year. Coach O actually did really well. It was a weird fit just because of his personality. And they are kind of particular there in Los Angeles, in case you didn't know about the personality of their head coach. Um, So Orgeron, even though he performed quite well with USC, he did not end up getting the job. They hired Steve Sarkeesian from Washington at the end of the 2013 season. Ed Orgeron bolted, I guess, for a different gig. I don't recall exactly where he went uh, at the end of 2013, but um, when Sark was announced that he was the coach, not Ed O, Sark finished out the season at Washington, Ed O departed, and Clay Hilton, who was Lane Kiffin's quarterback coach, was the interim coach for the Las Vegas Bowl in 2013. Sorry if that's confusing. It's kind of a who's who, a lot of different names that we all know very well now. They weren't nearly as big at the time, but yeah, a lot happened there in 2013. To quickly recap, Kiffin fired after week five, Cocho interim coach, Clay Hilton interim bowl game coach, Sark hired regular regular permanent coach so sark coached the whole 2014 season and after week five or six in 2015 he resigned are you noticing a trend here with the mid-season firing with sc it's kind of ridiculous out of control um of course this was because he was dealing with his off the field personal issues of alcoholism and he was showing up to practices and meetings under the influence. So it says resigned, but, you know, he was fired essentially and had to go deal with his personal issues instead of coaching the Trojans. So then Clay Helton was hired as the interim coach in 2015 and retained as their permanent head coach in 2016. Quick little side note, I didn't realize this until today when I was on his Wikipedia page, but Clay Helton actually played quarterback at Auburn from 90 to 92. I don't know if he actually played, but he was on the team and then ended up transferring to Houston for the last couple years of his career, but did not know that he was uh, at Auburn for part of his college quarterback career. So now focusing on Helton and his seven-ish year tenure with the Trojans, he ended up with a 46 and 24 record. That's including the interim season where he did pretty well. Um, and one Pac-12 championship. So compared to a lot of coaches we see fired, that's a pretty good record. It started off well in 2016, which was his first full season coaching, to 2017. He went 21-6. and six. Uh, That's one of those two years. Don't remember exactly which one was when they won the Pac-12 championship. And so you're thinking, okay, 2016, 2017, 21 and 6 record, Pac-12 championship, like that'll do. People are happy. Um, I should note before we get too deep into this that when he was retained as their permanent coach after being the interim, there's already just some kind of weird vibes from the fan base and the Trojan community because people were just lukewarm on him at best. 
even though he did fine enough as the interim coach, but I think people had a lot bigger aspirations, probably wanting a bigger name, sexier hire to try to return to the Pete Carroll days before they got too far away from that. So even the, even on day one, the fan base was split and even, you know, the first couple years he did well, but then really since 2018, the fan base has been split to put it nicely, mostly just not about the guy. So even though it's been a seven year tenure for him, there were very few times during that where it felt like he was just safe job security wise. So really odd. Um, so then after the 21 and six start, his first two seasons, he went 13 and 12 in 2018 and 19. And after the 2019 season, as I've talked about, it feels like a dozen times now throughout the podcast this season, uh, they lost to UCLA and everyone thought that he was going to get fired because he just went 500 over a two season span. And this is when the USC athletic director took two weeks to throw the infamous, we are not firing him press conference. And y'all know my feelings on that by now. Um, So that just kind of showed everyone that he was a dead man walking from that point on. Like if, unless he made the playoff essentially, or at the very least won the Pac-12, it was going to be super hard for him to do anything else to convince the Trojans that he was their guy. Last year in 2020, you know, Pac-12, they only played, uh, what was it, five games in the regular season. So they ended up five and one after losing to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. No shame in that, really. I mean, weird season, good record, lost to a good team in Oregon. Uh, what there is shame in is losing to Stanford 42-28 to in the Coliseum on a Saturday night, week two when you're in the top 25. So that was the final straw for Helton in Los Angeles. USC got stomped by Stanford, and at that point, the administration had decided that they've seen enough. So uh, to kind of move on to some of the causes of what all led to this, I mean, obviously the inconsistent up and down record and not everybody being head over heels for Helton from the get-go is certainly a big part of it. But the recruiting is really fascinating to look at as well over the Helton tenure. So their recruiting not surprisingly, pretty much followed their success on the field. They did really well the first couple seasons there. He kind of kept the train rolling. Um, You know, I mean, USC traditionally top 10 classes, top 15, year in, year out. And I think his first couple years, he had uh, top 10, top 12 classes. They were very good by all standards. And then as they took a dip on the field from 2018 to 19, their recruiting took a huge dip. They went from being a top 10 class to the number 20 class in 2019. And then get this, their 2020 class, I'll never forget my dad texted me about this. Uh, He told me it was like signing day. I was looking at the, he texted me the rival 24 seven, 247, whatever uh, recruiting rankings and he said, tell me what looks weird here. And so I started scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I was like, I don't know. You know, it seems like kind of the normal stuff, what you would expect. And I get down to number 64 and see the USC Trojans. And that was their final 
ranking for the 2020 recruiting cycle. And I was like, is this a typo? Like, what the hell just happened? I knew USC was down and out the past couple of years, but to be that low in recruiting for a college football blue blood like USC, um, like, it's just unheard of. And so today, I was thinking about that, went back and looked at those 2020 recruiting rankings. And here's a few of the teams that had better recruiting classes than um, USC did in that 2020 class. So Rutgers, Oregon State, Vanderbilt, Duke, and Kansas. Yes, we're talking about college football still, guys, not college basketball. Duke and especially Kansas um, out-recruited USC in 2020. Oregon State, who... I'm no Pac-12 aficionado, but I assume they are probably the bottom of the barrel year in, year out there. Maybe them in Washington State, I don't know. But, I mean, how the hell does Oregon State, Rutgers, Vandy, Duke, and Kansas out-recruit SC? I mean, even if they're bad, you almost have to try, it feels like, to have a recruiting class that freaking bad in Southern California and it turns out they kind of did try to have a recruiting class that bad. I'll touch on that in a second, but what else went wrong? So, by all accounts, Clay Holton is a really nice guy, which sounds like it's kind of part of the problem. I think he was taken advantage of from everything I was reading the past couple of days. His coaching staff and his players knew that they could just kind of cut corners and get away with slacking off, and he was just buddy-buddy with everybody, hired a bunch of his friends, and it just didn't seem like a very serious professional environment around the locker room. So, um, just seems like a lot of people took advantage of him, and that's sad, because you get to see, you know, what seems like a genuinely nice guy. All the recruits' parents seemed to love him, but he just couldn't lay the hammer down like as a college football coach you just have to do um so recruiting they I, I was reading that i guess like some of his coaches especially on the defensive side of the ball just kind of decided they didn't feel like recruiting i mean that's always i feel like the most underappreciated part of a college coach's job because it's truly 24 7 365 you never take a break from recruiting like as we're talking right now Nick Saban is probably either on the phone game planning or on the phone recruiting and you know maybe with the exception of Christmas Day I don't really think that him or any of the other best coaches out there ever take a break from the constant grind that is always recruiting because there's always more high schoolers coming up that you want on your team so I guess some of their coaches just decided, like, yeah, <laughs> we don't really feel like it. Well, I know, I know you asked us to stick around and talk to these high school kids after this little camp or clinic that we hosted. We'll, we'll stick around for five minutes, and we're just going to go. Um, you know, I've got a tea time or whatever. And because of that, uh, you know, the, the huge dip in recruiting obviously showed very quickly. It, I, should, I should say that they recovered – over the past couple years since that 2020 abysmal class this past uh, recruiting cycle they ended up with the number seven class in the nation so you know credit there I guess but clearly too little too late and especially you can tell that on the field when they're getting bullied by Stanford so just some other recruiting notes that I was thinking of today you know the 
another reason, the main reason that SC, outside of just the really cool, awesome brand that I think is undeniable that they have, um, they're in, you know, probably the most lucrative l- recruiting hotbed in the whole country. I guess you could Alice, you could argue the like Dallas, Houston area um, in Texas or Florida, but you know, take your pick. If we're talking about the three of those, Southern California is as good as it gets. And USC, when they were rolling under Carroll and whatnot, they always cleaned up in Southern California. There's all these crazy high schools that are practically like, you know, closer to college teams, it feels like, than they are high school teams um, that just feed into USC and especially quarterbacks at certain high schools like Modern Day in Santa Ana that produced Matt Leinart and Matt Barkley, both stars at USC and future NFL players. And a guy by the name of Bryce Young played at Modern Day. And, you know, had USC been competent and not been wishy-washy about their coach for the past four years, a guy like Bryce Young probably would have gone to play at USC because what's cooler than that when USC is rolling nothing so because Bryce and all these other guys probably didn't know who the hell the coach was going to be in two weeks after their signing day their senior year they chose more stable options uh let's see yes JT Daniels at quarterback initially committed to USC played there for a bit of his career and then transferred out to Georgia so he clearly, I mean, verdict is still out on him. We'll see. He's dealing with the oblique right now, but um, still not a good sign if the guys are leaving. Um, and then 30 minutes away from modern day, there's a high school called St. John Bosco, and this is where DJ Ugulele played. So, you know, he's another guy that probably would have loved to play at USC. Don't know any quotes personally from him saying that, but I feel like it's a fair assumption for a kid that grew up in Southern California. And lastly, guys like Tua, he, he, he is on record saying how interested he was in USC, but he probably liked the situation at Alabama a whole lot more and trusted that, you know, he could get better opportunities for his future down the road going to a school like that. So he chose to fly, across the country from Hawaii play at Bama when he's actually on the record saying how much he would have liked to play at USC. So his family would have been closer to him. So just the the list goes on and on and on. I could go all day talking about talented California recruits, not going to SC. Obviously there's too many talented kids there for USC to get them all. But, um, you just you just see a lot more schools. Oregon is another great example going into Southern California and kind of taking whatever they want. So USC needs to establish that. It was just really hard to do that when it felt like their coach was about to get fired literally every day for the past four years. So the Trojans will certainly benefit from and 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 they still they still got good recruiting classes except for that really one year they had the twentieth class which isn't really good on their standards but otherwise they were still pulling in top ten and fifteen classes even with all the uncertainty but another problem even with all the mostly talented classes that Houghton brought in was that 
he just didn't have any discipline in the program. It didn't seem like they were a physical enough team, even in the Pac-12, to keep up week in, week out. And this just led to really inconsistent results, really bad-timed uh, penalties. You know, it's it's hard now, kind of more on a intangible level. They loved Pete so much at USC and He's a very charismatic guy. He's kind of got that cool, laid-back Southern California charm, you know. I mean, like, it was just the match made in heaven when they had that thing rolling in the 2000s. And after Pete, you know, they got Kiffin, who is kind of a funny guy himself. I mean, I like him because his tenure at Alabama went well, but... Um, I know that's kind of a mixed bag depending on what fan base you talk to, but I mean, there's no doubt Kiffin definitely has a big personality, pretty charismatic. Sark, a little bit more to himself, but still, you know, has a kind of quiet swag to him. And clearly that wasn't really on display with all of his issues at USC, but it seems like if Texas can get it together here in the next year or two, he might have some of that kind of cool, calm, collected confidence coming back that I'm sure was attractive to the Trojan fans. Clay Helton, like I said, everything I've read says he's the nicest guy in the world, but didn't seem like he had much of that kind of coolness that I think they really crave from a head coach out there. Of course, there's nothing cooler than winning, but when you're being inconsistent and some people kind of perceive you as a dork, I'm not calling him that. Some people have said it, not me. Uh, you know, it doesn't help your case at all with winning over the fan base. Uh, it's also obviously just hard to keep Los Angeles's attention on the Trojans in the first place. Uh, right now, the Dodgers are really good. The Lakers are really good. They just got two NFL teams that moved to the area in the Helton tenure. And UCLA, even though they'll always be a little brother in that town, they're certainly on the up and up with Chip Kelly. So none of that helps anything for USC, but all it takes is a couple good winning seasons, get some butts back in the seat um, in the Coliseum, and they'll be okay. Not all of this is to blame on Helton. This is worth noting because this was news to me when I read it the past couple of days. But USC has been through a couple. Um, I keep trying to say UCLA. We've been talking about them so much the first couple weeks of the season with their big upset over LSU. So pardon me. Um, but USC has been through three athletic directors in the Helton tenure. Uh, They now have Mike Bond, who they got from Cincinnati, and he was actually out here at Boulder before that. But until Bond got there, he, USC, it seems like their athletic department was really just penny pinching, which is kind of hard to fathom considering all of the resources and the alumni base and the, you know, passion for the most part that that fan base has. But it seems like they're kind of recruiting and outreach was getting really outdated. They were just five or 10 years behind everybody else. Uh, the, the, the funniest thing I read was that in 2018, Clay Helton was going to visit a five-star lineman in Ohio, and they made him fly on Allegiant Airlines, which is one of those just like super cheap budget airlines. 
you know, it's hard to believe that no one could cough up a private plane for Helen to cr- uh, fly across the country in. But yeah, apparently that happened. So probably not a good look when Sabin's pulling up in a private chopper and I'm sure Dabo and Ryan Day and all the others have their own private entourage that they're coming in with. And then USC sends their head coach, literally their head coach, out on a like budget regional airline to go recruit a five-star. So not a good look. Um, that's about all I got. It just, you know, as a kind of fringe USC fan myself, um, it, it, it's kind of relieving that they finally turned the page. This definitely should have happened at the end of 2019, but here we are now. Uh, season and two weeks later, this is really weird timing because like no one that they want unless they plan on getting like a Bob Stoops type of guy. No one's going to leave their current gig in week two, even if UCL USC, there I go again, <laughs> even if USC comes calling, um, I don't know. It's just really strange. Like you can understand a team firing their coach the minute after they lose to UCLA so that they can, you know, I'm sure at that point they've already been on the phone with other coaches, but they can try to get the ball moving quick. But now everybody they're going to be interested in is just getting started in their current season. And it's just, it's just very strange. And USC has somehow developed a habit of doing this in like September and October, their past three coaches that they've fired. So it's just a, a strange situation weird timing they were clearly just looking for any excuse to get this done as soon as possible but i don't know i don't i, I don't know so recruiting is going to be tough with you know no coach for the foreseeable future it'll probably be late november by the time they get one but i could be wrong maybe they know who their guy is already don't know speaking of their guy i'm going to run through some of the possible replacements for clay helton and then we'll wrap this thing up. So the biggest name we're going to see is Mario Cristobal, coach at Oregon. He's probably the hottest name in any coaching search in college football that's going to arise this year. Um, it seemed like he was in pretty serious talks with Auburn. That didn't happen last year, obviously. Oregon ended up giving him a raise. He's fresh off the biggest win in his entire career with the big upset at Ohio State. He's recruited really, really well in general, but like I said a minute ago, uh, they've had a ton of success going and picking kids out of Southern California, and he coaches a really physical, just hard-nosed brand of football, which USC has been lacking for a long time now, so... Everything about him sounds great. There's the question of, you know, would he want to leave Oregon for USC, which is a really interesting conversation that I could do a whole other podcast on. And short answer, I don't really know. I don't think he's going to go because he's just got a really great situation at Oregon right now. And of course, he coached at Alabama. He coached our offensive line before Oregon hired him to be the head coach. And there's lots of speculation that he's, you know, going to be high on the target list whenever Saban leaves. Of course, who knows at this point when that's going to be. He also played 
college football at Miami. He was on some of those really good Miami teams way back in the day. So, you know, if Manny Diaz, that thing goes south, I'm sure he would be the first person they call. So does he want to go to one of these programs he's more familiar with? Would he take the step over to USC? Like a lot of people have been arguing on Twitter what the best what the better job is between Oregon, USC, what the best job in college football is. And that could be like a whole nother season of podcasts that I won't get into right now. But it is an interesting question. Does he like what his deal is at Oregon right now? You know, probably less cooks in the kitchen, less drama. He can just do his own thing. He's got the train rolling really well. Would he want to leave that with some of the nicest facilities in the country to go and essentially start over and rebuild Southern Cal that's undoubtedly going to eventually have higher expectations than the Ducks do. So I guess everyone can form their own opinion on that one. My gut tells me he's not going to be the guy, but I'm sure he will be called. So next we have James Franklin. He's also going to be a name that's mentioned in every huge school that lets their coach go. He's at Penn State right now, of course. Um, also kind of all these, all these candidates now that I'm looking at it are mostly on the East side or in the Midwest, but James Franklin is an interesting one. I mean, Penn state's one of the better jobs in the country, no doubt, but he's been there for a while now. He's never been able to really get over the hump. You have to imagine recruiting to SC would be a lot easier than, uh, Penn state. So we'll see about that. But Matt Campbell at Iowa State, the this is an interesting one. Um, he's being talked about for college and pro jobs that open up nowadays. So with him being in the Big 12 and the Big 12 collapsing and Iowa State, you know, probably not going to find another home besides whatever the new Big 12 is, uh, he might want to get up and hurry up and leave out of there. He's an Ohio guy. Him and Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, who's another interesting candidate for SC, are both Ohio-based Midwestern guys. And, you know, you could really see them being considered for the Michigan job if it were to open, potentially Notre Dame. Not that Kelly's close to being out of there, but, you know, if he were to hang it up in a few years and they were both still available. I think that would make a lot of sense. Ohio state probably won't be open for a long time, but that's probably both Matt Campbell and Luke Fickle's dream jobs being from Ohio. Um, Luke Fickle coaches at Cincy. I don't remember if I said that a second ago, but an interesting little nugget about Fickle is that his athletic director that hired him at Cincinnati is USC current athletic director, Mike Bond. So they have a relationship. Bond hired Fickle to the Bearcats in 2017 to clean up the mess that Tuberville left there with the Bearcats. Um, so that just the, just the relationship between the AD and the coach kind of gives him a little bump above everybody else. He's a super hot candidate right now. He's got Cincinnati in the playoff picture for the second time in a row. They're one of the few top 10 teams who's taking care of business just solidly the first two weeks. So they play at Indiana this week. It's going to be a 
good one that the Bearcats should win. So they've got a really high ceiling this year, and Fickle could, is definitely going to be a name we're going to hear a lot in the USC coaching search. Uh, a few more quickly, and we'll wrap it up. Billy Napier is going to be a big name as well. I don't know if more if he will be in this search, but you'll definitely hear him once other jobs start opening. He's at Louisiana Lafayette. He's got the Raging Cajuns in the top 25. Some of you will probably remember him from being the Bama wide receiver coach from 2013 to 16. He's done a great job down there with Louisiana. Tony Elliott is the offensive coordinator at Clemson. He's actually from Southern California, and I read today that a lot of the kind of big dogs behind the behind the closed doors at SC like him a lot. So this would be kind of a classic, just coaching tree hire, hoping he can replicate what Dabo's done at Clemson. So that's an interesting one. Uh, something, this is the most off the radar one so far. Um, but I saw reports from The Athletic talking about these rumors this afternoon. Eric Bieniemy, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, is from Southern California. And it was really surprising that he didn't get hired by any NFL teams. Because obviously there's always a bunch of coaching turnover in the NFL. And this past year there were like several jobs open in the offseason. And Bienemy was thought to be the top candidate for all of them. Maybe he just didn't want to go. Maybe they didn't like something in him. But it has been rumored that he's shown interest in the Southern Cal job in the past. And if he were to make the move to college, it seems like that would be the team that he would be willing to bump down a level for. So that would probably be a really exciting hire for the Trojans. Definitely a little more off the radar than any of these other bigger names that are already currently in the college game. And, of course, obligatory Urban Meyer and John Gruden comment to round it off. That's all I got for now. We'll follow this closely as the season goes along. Thanks for listening to my little bonus episode. Sorry for all the time traveling this week. I recorded the normal pod on Monday and this pod on Tuesday. And in between, the coaching disaster happened at USC. So... That's all I got for now. I will talk to you guys on the episode in Wednesday morning. (laughs) Bye.